Morning. morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. So good to see you guys. I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. We serve a great God. Amen. God who literally gave his life for us. That we'd be saved from the punishment of our ways and be restored in our fellowship with him. Man, there's no better place to be this morning. Uh, My name's Seth. For those of you guys who don't know me, I have the distinct joy and privilege of serving as the youth director here at Fremont Evangelical Free Church, and it is a joy. Um, Love your guys' kids. Love the opportunity to be able to serve with them. Um, And I also have the privilege of being able to uh, share the word this morning. So, man, God help me. Be praying for me as we go along here, guys. Um, I want to share a little bit of context, and then we're going to pray and then jump into the passage that we have today. So, uh, as you guys know, we're going through the book of Acts, uh, and we find in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a good outline for the book of Acts. As Jesus is commissioning his disciples, he says this, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so far, as we've been going through the book of Acts, in the first 12 chapters, we've seen those first three regions addressed, right? We've seen them take the gospel to Jerusalem. We've seen them take it to the surrounding area of Judea, and then even into Samaria. And now Acts chapter 13, we're beginning to see it shift to this final region, the ends of the earth. And if you check the bulletin, that's the name of the sermon, right? Ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to be looking at. The first 12 chapters primarily focus on God's work through the apostles and most and a lot of the time through the apostle Peter. And here in Acts chapter 13, we're also beginning to focus on the Holy Spirit's work through the apostle Paul as he takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, the timeline is somewhere between 46 to 49 AD, so we're roughly 13 years after Jesus' ascension. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the passage for this morning. Lord God, you are a great God. Holy Spirit, would you work this morning? Jesus, would you wake us up to see who you are? God, as we read through Acts 13, would you just give us a clear picture of the warrior that you are? Lord God, of the missionary that you are, Lord, of the love that you have for your people. And God, as we see you, would we be transformed more into your likeness? to go and reach those around us with the gospel. God, this is not something I can accomplish, Holy Spirit. This is only something you can do. Would you work through your word this morning, Lord, to have your way in us? We ask this in your son's name. Amen. All right, I want to encourage you guys to stand for the reading of scripture. We're going to be going through Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. You can open up your Bibles there. I will also have the words on screen. So here we go, Acts chapter 13. Verses 1 through 12, you can click on the PowerPoint so I can scroll through it, please. Any moment now. There we go. All right, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. 
He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. All right, this is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. All right, guys, as we're going through this text, there's one main point I want us to see as we tackle this passage today, and that is this. God is not done saving his people. God is not done saving his people. And we're going to see this played out in three different phases as we go through Acts 13, 1 through 12. First, we're going to see God's commission. Second, we're going to see the apostles' submission. And finally, we're going to see the enemy's opposition, right? As God goes about saving his people. So, at the start of Acts chapter 13, we're going to jump to God's commission. Here, right at the start of the chapter, we find ourselves in Antioch. According to John Polhill, a commentator for the ESV Study Bible, he would say this is roughly the third largest city in the world at this time, only being topped by Rome and Alexandria. Um, It was a very diverse city. It was a massive cosmopolitan community. Um, In Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, we end up seeing how the church in Antioch was planted. Uh, Namely, men from Cyprus and Cyrene came and proclaimed the gospel to the Hellenists there. Uh, Hellenists were Greek-speaking Gentiles, um, and many of them believed in the Lord and, uh, and put their faith in Christ. And as the church began to grow, the church in Jerusalem took notice, and they're like, man, let's, let's send someone to go help build these guys up and encourage them in the faith. And so they ended up commissioning Barnabas to go and to help encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And as the church continued to grow, Barnabas must have been like, okay, I need to, I need to get some help here, right? This, this place is taken off. So he went to Tarsus, and he grabbed Saul, brought Saul back. And now for a year, Barnabas and Saul have been pouring into the church here at Antioch. And it's here that we're beginning to see the fruit of the Spirit's labor through Saul and Barnabas. Because what began as two leaders has now turned into five, right? Just what Jesus said in... Uh, Matthew 16, 18 is being brought to fulfillment when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We see God's word going forth and the church of Antioch continues to be built up. All right, so let's take a look at these five leaders that are now here at the church in Antioch. We read this in verse one. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, to give you a little bit of a reference for the church in Antioch, it's found up right around here in northwestern Syria, okay? And when it goes through and lists the leaders, the first guy that we see is Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is a Levite from the island of Cyprus, right? His name means son of encouragement. This is probably the kind of guy that you like to hang out with during the week, right? He's a very encouraging, um, building up sort of guy. And he's one of the main teachers that we see here in the church at Antioch. After him, we have Simeon, who is called Niger. 
Now, interestingly enough, most Bible commentators would agree that this was probably a man of African descent, okay? Um, Niger means black in the, word that in, uh, in the word that she used here, right? And this is a man, again, who's one of the prophets, one of the teachers here building up the community. In fact, John Stott, commentator John Stott, thinks that this may possibly be the same Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 26. The Bible doesn't say specifically whether that's the case or not, but it's an interesting conjecture, right? The third man we see here is Lucius of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene is found in northern Libya, right down here on the coast. So this guy has also come a long ways from home to be serving in the church here at Antioch. The fourth man is Menaean. He is a lifelong friend of Herod. Um, this is likely Herod Antipas, not Herod Agrippa I, who just got struck down with worms uh, and died in the, in the previous chapter. And so Menaean is this dude who grew up like he was probably a childhood friend of like royalty. Like, this guy has political connections from a worldly standpoint. They're like, wow, this guy's like kind of powerful, right? And then also we have Saul, a former persecutor of the church, now turned to follow Christ. And so what we have is this very unique, diverse church that's coming together in a love for the Lord and a love for Jesus and a desire to serve him. And these are now spiritual men who are engaged in spiritual worship. We see this in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. It is while they are engaged in worshiping God that they receive the call for Barnabas and Saul to go to the work to which God has called them. And with this, I want to say, man, do you want to know what God is calling you to do? I mean, if you're like me, a lot of times you think like, Lord, what do you want from me? And I think that answer is most often found when we are living a lifestyle of worship right? When we are worshiping God, when we are seeking his face, when we're seeking his will and his word, and when we're coming to him in prayer, man, that's when we begin to discover what it is that God is really calling us to do. Um, because it's just, again, we're growing in our relationship with him, right? Um, trying to understand the calling of God without engaging in a thriving relationship with him is like trying to get to know your wife without ever being around her. Guys, have you ever tried this? You're at work and you're like, oh, I need, I need to spend some time. Like, I need to try and get to know my wife better. But then you end up coming home. You walk past her in the living room and you're like, hey, babe, what's up? Head on over to the fridge, grab a Mountain Dew, go sit down on the couch, turn on the TV, right? Is this a great recipe for getting to know your wife? And her will, her desires, no, it's not. There's this little thing called communication, communication that we have to engage in if we're going to be growing in relationship. And the, go and the same goes for our walk with Christ. Man, we need to be hearing from him through his word, and we need to be speaking back to him through prayer, right? Through worshiping him. And so this is what we're seeing here. This is a church of spiritual men engaged in worshiping and growing in their relationship and their love for the Lord. And it's as they're doing this that they receive their commission from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who speaks in verse 2, telling them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And he is the one who sends them out in verse 4. And this is acknowledged by the church. They recognize that this is God who is commissioning them to do this. In verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They received the blessing from the church to embark on this missionary journey to which God has called them. And this was always God's plan. We see in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that God says that Saul is his chosen instrument of God's to carry his name to the Gentiles. And why is God commissioning them here? 
to go and to take the gospel to the Gentiles to head to the island of Cyprus because God is not done saving his people, all right? And so the apostles received their commission. That brings me to our second point I want us to see today, and that is the apostles' submission. Okay, this is something I can appreciate a little bit as, as a youth director because I'm pretty sure Saul and Barnabas may have been fairly comfortable with where they were at in the church in Antioch. First off, they're not being persecuted, right, as much as what they were seeing in the church of Jerusalem at that time. And then beyond that, like, the church is growing. People are coming to know the Lord. What started off as basically two elders, right, two prophets, two teachers, has now expanded to five. Like, men are rising up, like, in the leadership and being passionate about God, and they're seeing this church go forth, right? And they've been there for a year, and they're just seeing this thing take off. If I was there, I wouldn't want to leave, <laughs> I'd be like, man, we got a good thing going here. Like, this is fantastic. And yet what we see is that when the Holy Spirit calls them to go, they submitted and they went. Man, do you sense God really putting something on your heart, some place where he's really calling you to go? The best thing you can do is submit and go where God is leading you, right? And so we see in verse 4, they, they end up taking off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. This is a port city in the Mediterranean Sea. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus, okay? They're embarking off on this missionary journey, right? And what was the work that God had called them to do? We see this in verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, right? God was calling them to go and to preach the gospel. And so as soon as they get there, that's what they're doing. They're proclaiming Jesus Christ, right? And the forgiveness that's in him. And they begin with the Jews, right? This is kind of a pattern that Saul often follows as he goes through the book of Acts. He, um, he takes the Jew, or he takes the Jew, he takes the gospel first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles, which makes sense because the Jews already believed in Yahweh God. They already believed in the authority of scripture and therefore they already had a substantial base for recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. So it makes sense that he'd take the gospel to them first. And so they're in Cyprus, they're in the synagogues, they're preaching to the Gentiles, and they're proclaiming the gospel throughout the whole island, right? And again, why are they proclaiming God's word? Because God is on mission, and God is not yet done saving his people. And yet, like anyone, if you go out and you preach the gospel long enough, eventually you are going to run into opposition, and this is the final section I want us to look at tonight, or tonight, sorry, I'm, I'm used to Wednesday night youth group, this morning, um, the enemy's opposition, all right? Now, I want you guys to imagine, okay, let's, let's daydream here for a little bit. I want you to imagine it is June 6th, 1944, and you are with the 101st Airborne, boarding a plane, boarded a plane that is now flying across the British Channel. You guys are going to go into Normandy and take back Europe from Nazi Germany, right? As you guys are flying through the air, you can hear anti-aircraft batteries ripping the sky open right next to you. Maybe you see a plane right next to you get hit and begin to go down, and it's not long before you start to hear that call of go, 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 and everyone's bailing out of the airplane, ripping their parachutes, floating down. You can hear the gunfire all around you. When your boots hit the ground, what are you expecting? The answer, opposition. You are expecting gunfire. You are expecting resistance because you recognize that you are behind enemy-controlled territory. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the world. 
This is God's planet. He created it. He is sovereign over it. And yet, the devil has so much sway over the world today, right? He is the prince of the power of the air. He even tells Jesus, right, that he can give it to whomever he pleases. And so we should expect that if we go out and we start proclaiming the gospel, we are going to run into opposition. He is not going to give up his power easily, right? He does not want to. He, Satan wants to be the Lord of the earth. And so here we find that in the same way as Saul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel, they run into opposition. Enter Bar-Jesus, verse 6. When they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, this is in the southwestern uh, corner of Cyprus, um, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Verse 8. Um, his, his name is also Elimus the magician, and he opposed them. So a couple things about Bar-Jesus. First off, he's Jewish, all right? So this dude is a son of Abraham, right? He's, he is of the physical descent and, and, and line of Abraham. Um, so he's part uh, of the covenant people of God. He is a false prophet. So he's a man who, um, who declares things, putting, mouth, putting words in the mouth of God that God himself hasn't actually spoken. We find that he's a magician, right? He's someone who practices magic, someone who would invoke cantations and cast spells, right? Um, someone who would exercise the power of demons to try and create sway over the people around him, right? This is who we're seeing with Bar-Jesus. His name, Elimus, is likely taken from an Arabic word, alim, which means wise. Wise man was, was often synonymous with sorcerer, okay? During that time. And so this is a dude who is opposed to the gospel. And with him we see, or with him we see Sergius Paulus. This is verse 7. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Right? Sergius is the Roman proconsul, which is basically like a governor, right? Over the whole island. He is he's the top dog on the island of Cyprus as far as politically guiding. Um, the course of, in the affairs of the island, right? He's probably Italian, he's a Roman, and he is the one who is seeking to hear from Paul and Barnabas. He's the one who has summoned them, right? He's curious um, about, about what he's been hearing. And, and, and so Paul and Barnabas come to him. And I want us to recognize this because the contrast is striking, right? You have this Jewish man of Abrahamic descent whose name is literally Bar-Jesus, this means son of Jesus or son of salvation. If there was anyone who we think would be ready to believe the gospel and receive it, it's Bar-Jesus, right? And yet what we find is he's entirely opposed to it. And then this Roman governor who's in this position of power, a Gentile who has all this authority, probably the last guy we would expect to be believing the gospel is the one who's curious and the one who wants to hear more about it. And guys, I just want us to recognize, so often God is drawing people to salvation, so often the people God is drawing to salvation aren't the people that we would think. They're not the people that, based upon outward experience, we would think he's necessarily drawing, but he is. And so we find Sergius is, is, is curious and wanting to hear more, but bar Jesus is opposing him coming to the faith. We read this in verse 8. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. Is seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, right? He is, at this point, probably fearing his loss of influence. I mean, like, if the guy who's in charge on the island, right, is listening to him, if that guy ends up coming to believe in Jesus and have his faith in him, he's not going to have a whole lot of extra room for magic and for all the other hocus-pocus stuff, right, that 
um, that Bar-Jesus is trying to, uh, to, to speak into his ear, right? Satan will have lost the influence that he has um, on, Sergius, on Sergius Paulus' life, and thus the influence that he exercises to a certain degree over this island. And yet in confronting this Jewish false prophet, Paul is not timid. A lot of people might be scared, like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't mess with Bar-Jesus, right? Like, this dude can do some pretty freaky stuff, right? I've seen him cast spells on people. And you know what we see is that when it comes to Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit, he is not intimidated by this guy at all. And I want you guys to read the Holy Spirit rebuke that, God, or that Saul gives Bar-Jesus. He says this in verse 10, "'You son of the devil,' You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Okay, this is a tremendous rebuke. Did anyone go out this week, and as they were trying to share the gospel, saw someone resisting it and called them a son of the devil? Anyone? That wasn't me, okay? But literally, what he's saying is true. He, notice, he's full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. What he's declaring is true, but just like he is a son of the devil, right? The devil in the Garden of Eden, he tried to prevent Adam and Eve from being obedient to what God had called them to do, right? And, and here we see Bar-Jesus trying to prevent Sergius Paulus from being obedient to God's call in the gospel, this gospel is the means through which we receive the righteousness of God through faith in him. And so in him opposing the gospel here, he's, he's an enemy of all righteousness. He's using deceit. He's using lies to try and keep him from believing in the faith. He's trying to twist the straight path that Sergius Paulus is trying to take to the gospel. And thus he's making himself a villain of the worst sorts. And yet Paul is not afraid with him. He ends up rebuking him strongly. And look at the power of what happens here. Literally, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. I don't know about you guys. If I was there, this would have scared me out of my shoes right? Literally, Paul ends up telling him, you're going to be blind, and instantly, the guy goes blind. Like, you want to talk about God vindicating what he's saying through Paul and Barnabas. There it is. There's your proof. Like, Sergius Paulus was already beginning to believe. The Holy Spirit was already convicting him, and then when he sees this, it's just like, whoa, this God is the real deal. This Jesus is the true God. God literally blinded Bar-Jesus on the spot as, as, as Paul pronounced this curse upon him, right? And yet in the same way as this is a curse, right, upon him so that he can't see, in a small way, it's actually kind of an act of grace. Because Paul, too, was once a persecutor of the church. Paul, too, once stood in opposition to God. And on the road to Damascus, seeking to, per to persecute the church, he was confronted by God, and he was blinded. And God challenged him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And just as God gave Saul the opportunity to see his own sin and to repent, here in a small way, as Spargius is also being blinded, he's having the opportunity to recognize that he's warring against the true God. And he here is here also being presented with an opportunity to repent and to turn to God. We don't know if he does. The text doesn't say whether he does or not. But man, we can certainly hope that that is what he did. But I want us to see here, guys, the power of demons is no match for Almighty God. God, speaking of his people in John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29, says this, 
I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you think the power of demons is going to prevent Almighty God from saving his bride? You had better think again. He doesn't stand a chance. You might as well be pitting a squirrel against a wolverine if you think that demons are going to keep God from saving his people. It is not happening. And so the Spirit crushes Satan's sway over Sergius Paulus' life, and he ends up believing. We see this in verse 12. Then the, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He's astonished because the Holy Spirit has been teaching him. The Holy Spirit has been preparing him for this, right? To believe and hear at this moment when they come and present the gospel and then when it's confirmed as the Holy Spirit blinds bar Jesus, he knows the truth that, this tr- that Jesus truly is God and he believes in him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is still going about saving his people. And so that's the main point I want us to see this morning. God is not done saving his people. Do you guys know the love that God has for his people? God will not stop until every last one of his children are saved. If any one of us had children overseas, right, that were in bondage to someone, that were being held hostage against their will, would you be able to rest knowing that that was their situation? You would not. Our Father in heaven does not rest either. He is a God who is actively at work saving his people. John 6, 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none, not one of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Our Father will not stop until every last one of his kids has entered into the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. You serve a jealous Father who loves you, And all your brothers and sisters who have not yet heard the gospel very, very much. He gave his own life as a ransom for our sins. And so if you're a non-believer here today and you've never believed the gospel, man, believe the truth. God was not content sitting in heaven in perfect paradise, right? Knowing that his people needed a sacrifice for sins. He came to earth. As a man, he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live, and he died on the cross in the place of everyone who believes in him. So as we look to him, as we trust him, that his sacrifice is sufficient to pay our sin debt, we receive the salvation and the forgiveness of God. So if you haven't believed in Jesus, I want to encourage you this morning, put your faith in him. And if you are a believer this morning, you you, you trusted in Jesus, you've received the salvation from God, I want you to recognize this, that like Paul and Barnabas, God has prepared work for us to do. Just as Paul and Barnabas had work that the Holy Spirit set them apart for, God has work set aside for you to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. And like Paul and Barnabas, we have received a commission. Matthew 28, 18. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Will we go? Will we go? And will we proclaim the gospel? 
God has this kind of love for his people. God has this kind of love for his children. But do we share in that same love? Do we care enough about others? Do we love them enough to go and to proclaim the message that they so desperately need to hear? Because it's this very love that, God, that brought God to us and that sent Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus to reach Sergius Paulus. God is at work. He's preparing people to receive the gospel message. Man, are we going to be faithful to go as he is calling us to go? Are we able to rest when there are still some of God's people waiting to be saved? Christ hasn't come back yet because his work isn't done yet. Man, let's join him. Let's be laborers who go out into the field and join Christ in the work that he is doing and in love share the gospel with those around us that they too may know him in this beautiful salvation that is in Christ. Let me close this out in a word of prayer. Jesus, you are so good. Holy Spirit, we are so desperately in need of your heart. God, would you enlarge in our hearts? Would you enlarge in our love for you? Lord, would the love of Christ compel us to go out and to share the good news with those around us. So, Lord, help us to love them more than we love ourselves. Help us to not live in fear of what people will think of others. God, help us just to be compelled with a love to go and share your truth with them. Oh, God, please do this work in us. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.